0: Welcome to the Creative Minds Podcast with me, Callum Hughes.
1: Something for your mind.
0: Hello, everyone. I hope you're all keeping well, especially with this third lockdown that most of us still find ourselves in. In this next episode of the Creative Minds Podcast, presented by myself, Callum Hughes. I'm joined by Habs Akram. Habs was Carl Cox's personal visual artist at the world-renowned Space Ibiza for eight years and also traveled around the world with Carl as he conjured up magic with his visuals at the likes of Ultra Miami and has worked on other projects including Glastonbury's iconic Pyramid Stage There's many things that we should be reflecting and re-evaluating when focusing on the music industry since COVID-19 brought the industry to its knees last March. And one of them is giving credit to those behind the scenes who are at times overlooked. These people typically don't ask for any credit and they undoubtedly make the events what they are. Whilst the DJs are amazing at what they do, the focus and limelight is of course always on them in the centre of the booth, but the events at that scale, even down to your more intimate affairs would not be the same spectacle without artists like Habs who truly personify the terms visualisation and creative. So I'm just going to invite him in now. Evening, mate. Hey. How are you? You all good? I'm great, thank you. And uh, good evening to everyone out there as well. Yeah, thanks, mate. I really appreciate your uh, your time, first of all. And uh, considering we haven't met properly on a, on a face-to-face basis, thanks for, for trusting me to do this as well. So, big love. No, it's not about the trust, it's about the love, mate. And that's what we're here to do
2: right now, is to spread the love because... We all need some love right now with what's going on in
0: the world. Yeah, that, that's very true. So we've only spoken briefly recently, um, and this is of course the first time we, we've met. Um, and before we discuss your normal hectic schedule um, and an amazing career that would in normal circumstances see you travel the world, um, I just wanted to say well done on how you've adapted and evolved to do the live mixing with the, the visuals during the weekend that had just gone for Unity DAB as part of their Dance Against Cancer live stream. So tell us more about this and and is it difficult doing this remotely instead of live? It it can be difficult, but uh, fortunately
2: for for, um, DAB, what they did uh, last weekend, they set up a separate room for us to set all the equipment up because it was a a really important charity to raise money for, for cancer. Um, I, I didn't want any any issues or problems technically. So uh, we decided to you know, go there, well I decided to go there and set everything up in a separate room, make sure we had a direct feed to the green screen and it worked amazingly well and you know everyone uh, at the AB was so helpful and you know they just wanted to do whatever they could to make it work and they did.
0: Which that's good. How, how did that come about then? Did they approach you because of the reputation you've already got with your previous work? Uh, yeah, they, they approached me. Uh, I met a, a gentleman by the name of Phil uh, uh,
2: Good, and as uh, DJ. I was actually, there's it's a little, little story behind this actually. Um, Phil Good, um, I was invited to the Roundhouse uh, just over a year ago um, uh, by Robin S., and uh, while i was there with uh, you know uh, as a guest i was introduced to uh, phil by angie brown Angie came up to us yes absolutely you're always supposed to be habsy come and meet my friend phil so uh, so i said hi phil how you doing she goes, this is my friend Habs. You know, he does visuals for all sorts of people i don't want to drop names now but uh, you know and uh, she said i love you to chat to him so we just got chatting and you know like when you're in a, in a you know room mother like the roundhouse, there's a lot of noise, and you know you can't really hear what everyone is saying. But you know the the, the chat was good, and then you know he said, "Look, have you got a Facebook account?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, "Look, I'll, I'll Facebook you," which he did. And uh, you know he saw. As you know, I'm I'm regular on Facebook. I'm always posting stuff that I'm working on and bits of pieces and, and jokes and whatever you know the life that I've had in the industry with you know with the likes of Carl Cox and many other artists. And uh, he saw what I was doing, and then he understood. You know, where I was coming from, and, and then he contacted me on Facebook and said, look, I've got this event, and uh, I would really love you to come and, uh, and do it uh, with us, and uh, I said, it would be my pleasure, you know, because it's a, it's a great cause, Yeah.
1: and um, and that's where we ended up. Uh, prior to that, um, you know, I did another event uh, for Phil
2: um, in Clapton uh, for um, food banks, which I thought was another, uh, you know, a good cause so uh, we did that as well and uh, and that went really well so it's been nice it's been it's been a tough year for everyone in the industry and I, and I feel for everyone um, and you know you just gotta stay safe and, and look after yourself and your families and, and do what you can I, I know that's easy for me to say but that's the only choice we have right now Yeah. and, and uh, so I focused on being more creative at home having more time because I'm not travelling and also um, you know doing you know the, the live streams also you know uh, I also uh, got a great relationship now with a DJ producer called Andrew Galea who's uh, also uh, become a really good friend of mine and we uh, we do every Friday we do these uh, live streams where he DJs from his house in Henfield and I'm at my home in, in Kent and I take an audio feed from his Twitch account and then I, I I run the visuals and we run it through you know social media and everyone loves it because not every DJ Likes to be on camera, so you know me and Andy decided we'd, we'd do it differently, where he's still live because he gives everyone a shout out whenever they're commenting, and I'm doing the visuals, and and it works really well because everything's live and in real time.
0: Yeah. Which is which
2: is I think the way forward.
0: Yeah, definitely, mate. I think v- visuals have been a big part as well of any live streams that have taken place since COVID hit in in March last year because. I feel live streams a couple of years ago were quite big, and then they fell off a little bit. But obviously, yeah. any artist—it doesn't matter how big you are—was forced to go down the route of live stream. So, in order to make your live stream stand out compared to everybody else's, you need people like yourself to to take it to that next level with uh, with the visuals.
2: Well, no, I appreciate you saying that, uh, Callum, because that, that's how that's our ethos on this whole. Uh, thing that we're doing now is to take what we have, the tools that we have, uh, to another level Yeah. And, and, it, and it's working you know, you still got the DJs and I watch all the other DJ uh, live streams and, and I still comment on them and, and go oh yes, oh brilliant, love that track whatever, and they actually see me come online and, and comment and
1: they start giving me a shout out, mm-hmm. which is lovely
2: <laughs> but you know, and I'm not used to that, I'm just used to just being the guy, you know, in the background doing what I do yeah, uh, 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 which is you know what's kept me going is because I, I don't get involved in any of the dramas or anything like that. I just do what I do. Yeah, you know, and enjoy it.
0: Sometimes the easiest way, isn't it, makes staying out of all of the politics and just doing doing your thing on the visuals as, instead. Yeah.
2: Just to stay, you know, to stay on the fence and just, just go to the events, do your best, make the artists look good because that's what we we guys do outside the house. You know, we we make them look good on stage. Yeah. Uh, and and that's another comment that I've, I you know I've always lived by where a lot of people when they they've turned up to gigs you know in, you know in prior years uh, they turn up and everything's amazing all the lighting the screens the lasers but they don't know how much work goes into putting that together. Very true. And, uh, and uh, when they're there, it just looks amazing and. Uh, and people are beginning to understand that more now, but yeah, you know, when you give when you're highlighting people like myself and lighting guys, you know, to talk about what we,
0: yeah. what we do and where we're coming from. Absolutely. I think it's something that I was probably a bit ignorant to maybe back in two thousand and fifteen until probably 2018 and it's when i started working more backstage with the artist liaison and the stage management and then you build those close relationships with the the sound engineers uh the, the lighting techs and you actually realize without you guys the events wouldn't be what they are because like i say in that introduction it doesn't matter if it's a stage at glastonbury or ultra miami or, or space even down to your more intimate events you can have a dj who plays really amazing music but adding that spark with the production is, is what makes the event that full package. It does. And, uh, you know, I've got to hand it to the promoters. You know, they have up their game after watching what's going on, you know, with other promoters
1: around the world. I mean, you know, with the lights, as you mentioned, Ultra, mm. also with, with the Dutch. The Dutch, you know, like, like Tomorrowlands and their other events, they put a lot of effort mm. into their productions. Uh, and, and you've got
0: to have the right people to make those productions work. Yeah. You know, there's no point having you know, loads of
2: LED screens and stuff with, when the, the content's not you know, justifying the amount of
0: money they spent on, on the hardware. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's one thing that people don't actually realise is the level of investment. I mean, you're talking about the likes of Tomorrowland. Like, yeah. I'd, I dread to think what the investment is there financially with, with the lights okay. and all the other production.
2: I wouldn't want that headache. <laughs> <laughs> Just
0: go up yeah. yeah it was funny when i was in one of the earlier podcasts i suspect you might have met him before wilf gregory who is director for hideout annie max lost and found and i i said to him how do you sleep at night knowing the amount of financial investment that goes in there and he goes you have to just let go of it because you know you, you write it on the back of a fag packet you say yeah we're going to do it because otherwise if you were overthinking too much about the level of investment, you definitely wouldn't get your eight hours a night. you probably struggle to get four hours sleep a night, so. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, but you know,
2: personally, I wouldn't want to be a promoter, not now, you know, even in those days, because it it, it is, you know, a tough, tough job to handle, you know, and you've got to be a certain kind of character to be able to do that job, especially, you know, when, you know, you're relying on, on numbers. You know, ticket sales. Right? Mm. It's quite easy. Yeah, definitely,
0: mate. I really like the point you, you made, not just about the um, the dance against cancer live streams, but also the one you did with the food bank. And I think it's amazing what people such as yourself are doing. I know that in normal circumstances, you might not be in the limelight, but because of your platform and, and your expertise and your skills, you're still using those to, to give back and for good reasons. And I think it, it's nice to see that there are a lot of people, not everyone, but there are a lot of people who are, you know, using their platform and their skill sets to, to give back for the right reasons. And that that's what should be happening, I think, at the moment. If you're in the position to give back, then I think everyone should be doing it at the minute. Yeah, I, I,
2: you know, I agree. And I, you know, I am a great believer in giving back. You know, I've always been supportive of everyone I've ever come across in this industry. You know, I, I meet, uh, you know, guys that I met 20 years ago when I was doing, you know, gigs like uh, Slinky in Bournemouth. You know, and, and still remember me now, saying you know it was so good to meet you then, and you know you told you know told me never to give up on your dream, and their dream was to get somewhere in the industry because they love their music, and and it's nice when people remember you for things like that. Yeah. And they see you after ten years and they still remember. You know, that's great.
0: Yeah, definitely, mate. But um, h- how have you been coping since COVID, Hicks? I appreciate there must be positives to slowing down compared to going from one continent to to another. Um, but obviously you love your job because you've been doing it for for years and years, um. You know, and that ability to to travel and bring your magic to life—it's so many different events around the world. Um, has has been taken away. How, how have you been coping? Uh, to be quite honest, Calum, you know, it's been tough. You know, and I don't deny that. You know, because it, anyone
2: who works in production and in, in in the industry, they miss the vibe of you know of being there and being in that you know event arena because we're we're like a a family really because you know everyone knows everybody you know and it's so nice that when you turn up on site and you see all the familiar faces and you think wow this is going to be great because all the right people are here and and it's and it's great and you know and everyone's there to look after you to make sure you're you know you're you know you're getting what you want and you know you're looked after yeah Uh, uh, but coming back to your question it has been tough but the way i've managed to cope with it is by you know keeping my head down and mm. focusing on you know on the end goal which is one day i'll come back but in, in that in the meantime is to be more creative in, in my downtime yeah which i have have been and also i've been focusing on on my app DJ um you know which has given me time because when you're touring you don't have time to focus on that uh, you know, and give it uh, you know, the actual attention that it needs.
0: Yeah. Uh, and that's enabled me. You know, this is this time down, and, uh,
2: enabled me to do that. Um, and 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 it's worked because you know we managed to launch the app uh, back in October uh, last year, and and it's seeing a lot of uh, traction right now. And you know, and you know, a lot of other artists have come forward and and offered their help and. You know, and endorsements to, to promote, yeah. promote and, and support me with it which yeah. has been really really nice you know and that's what you know, life should be like everyone should support each other you know just recently about three weeks ago I got a phone call from Lenny Fontana mm. and um, I don't normally get a phone call from Lenny Fontana so I thought well what's he want <laughs> as a joke but uh, and it was just lovely because I've been a big fan of Lenny's for years I love his music I always loved it and um so, uh, during the call I said hi Lenny how you doing and he said great I said what's going on he goes well you know I'm just in New York cause it's the same as all of us stuck in his house in New York uh, and he goes Havs I called you because you know I love your app he goes I downloaded it and uh, and I want to endorse it and uh, I was very really humbled at that moment I Yeah. someone you know, you know as great as Lenny Fontana to, to call me yeah not for me
0: It's endorsement for you know a a product that you know
2: it's taken me nearly 10 years to bring bring to
0: life. Yeah, is amazing. I was I was on the Clubhouse app just before we joined this. It's probably about an hour ago. I went for a run and because it's a really good way to network digitally at the moment, especially with people from different countries. I was in a conversation where it was around what's your favourite genre of electronic music, and it was actually being hosted by Lenny Fontana, wow. and, I, and I was about to speak to him and say, Lenny, pleased to meet you, big fan, um, I've actually got a friend of yours um, on a podcast with me, but as soon as I was about to speak to him, I think he was hosting another room, so he left, so the, the, the timing was bad, but I'm sure I'll c- catch up with him and uh, mention that he, he got that honorary mention, uh, he's obviously a, le- a legend in the game of house he, music.
2: He's one of the nicest people. You know that i've met in this industry when it comes to djs and artists i mean the guy is just one big heart mm. that's,
0: that's how i describe it it's just one big heart. yeah um, those kind of guys as well it shows why they stand the test of time because it, you know, obviously they know the music like the back of the hand he's been around since probably the late 80s 90s um but just in all round obviously i've never met him but seems like a really nice person as well and that goes a long way in terms of longevity in the industry
2: I hope one day you do get to meet them and
0: you'll believe every word I've told you about yeah so um, that's what I was just going to come on to was your your app has has rightly been gaining some decent traction since its inception Um, and obviously it's been endorsed by the the likes of Lenny so tell us more about what the app is all about um, and where the inspiration came from to, to bring this idea to life and what are your hopes for the future with the app
2: okay well the app idea uh, came to me when I was in in Japan, actually, uh, ten, just over 10 years ago now. I was there with, with Carl Cox um, and Fatboy Slim and a number of other artists. And while I was in, in Tokyo, I decided to go into, into the city centre and check out the phones because that was the technology of tomorrow at the time. So uh, while I was in there, I was just totally blown away by the amount of phones that were in this in this shop. And and I thought to myself, I had that light bulb moment. I thought one day, you know, some of them create an app where they'd be able to do visuals with a phone. Uh, and I thought to myself, well, if I don't do this, nobody will. And at that time, you know, the technology wasn't, you know, up to date with with my idea. And uh, and so I, I had to wait. But what I did was I went back to the actual uh, event, and it was a. Uh, uh, it was on the beach. It was three weeks after the tsunami. It just shows you how resilient the actual um, Jap- Japanese were. And it was uh, a charity event, another charity event for the survivors of the tsunami, mm. uh, which were over the moon to, to, be, to be out and attend and, and support. And I turned around to Carl and I said, Carl, I'm, one day I'm not gonna need all this equipment. So I had you know, two six foot tables full of computers and all that. Uh, and he looked at me and he said, well, what are you gonna do, Haps? And I said, I'm going to do it with my phone. <laughs> and, and Carl, being Carl, he looked at me, he smiled, and he said, make it happen. Yeah. Uh, and that's <laughs> what I did.
0: Yeah. It's taken me 10 years, but I've made it happen because I had to wait for the
1: technology to catch up. Yeah. But I didn't give up on my dream, mm. which was to create an app to give something back,
2: you know, to people where everyone now can be a, a VJ at home, or in, you know, in a bar, or in a club, whatever. You know, and and
0: do what I do. Yeah, no, that that that's amazing. I I love the the point you made there around uh, Carl turning around and saying "Make it happen." I thought you were going to say either "Oh yes, oh yes," or "Make it happen." <laughs> no, uh, yeah, he's
2: already said "Oh yes, oh yes." And he saw the end result, uh, which is great. And, yeah, uh, I was in our a couple of years back, and uh, you know, I showed him the actual. Uh, Sort of the setup of what we're doing in and what the app is going to look like, the, the beta version, and he, he loved it. Yeah. a uh, version I'll show you It's here. So it's like free download. This is what eleni did. He came on camera and done that. <laughs> and then he sent me a picture of him holding my holding his phone with the app on like that. And um, and uh, what I love about it is it's totally real time. It responds. It's now responding to my voice. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's on Android and on ios and i was so uh let's say blown away when we presented it to ios uh, or to itunes uh, normally they take six to eight weeks to approve an app and um, with djvj DJ, they approved it within 24 hours which was pretty amazing yeah so somebody at
0: uh, uh, apple obviously liked it and,
2: uh, and said yeah let's, let's let's have some of this and uh and it's just gone from stretch to strength
0: yeah i I love the point that you made as well around the fact that that was an initial idea that you had 10 years ago but because you believed in it and you were passionate about it you didn't just give up after a year or two you know you it goes for anyone in the music industry if you really believe in something whether or not that's your ability as a dj or a producer or visual artist sometimes you have to accept that it it may take five ten years you know because i suppose in that case you knew what you wanted, but you had to rely on something that was out of your control with technology, of you know, developing and, and advancing. But um, no, that's a, it, it's a really good point you made there around the, the, the patience and, and believing. You have to be
2: patient, especially, you know, on, on new ideas, you know, because you, you never give up on your dream. Even when I started as, as a VJ all, all those 20-odd years, years back, you know, I was one of the first, you know, to, to do it. And and to pioneer it in the UK, um, you know the first uh, the night I did was it's a London thing. It was a garage night in, in Kingston upon Thames with a, a, a DJ who's still a friend of mine, uh, Scott Garcia. Some some of the uh, list, uh, listeners right now will probably remember that uh, that night. You know it's a London thing. And then it went from there. You know from uh, VHS tapes which I used to drive around in, you know, in my car, 400 VHS tapes like that in boxes. And uh, and some uh, uh, what you call it uh, MX50 uh, Panasonic mixers, and and I had to move forward with the technology. If I didn't, I would have got left behind. Yeah. So uh, so everyone went from VHS tapes to uh, DVDs. Mm. But I but I thought I can't do that because I'm still going to be walking or oh, driving around with loads of yeah you know, DVDs. So I decided to go to the next level and go digital. So uh, so I invested the money that I made. You know, from doing the gigs into video servers, and uh, and then we started doing it that way. And yeah. Now it's all down to a laptop. Yeah. So it's moved, you know, forward every time, and you have to keep up with the technology. And now it's down to the phone. And now it's on
0: there. I wonder what it'll be next after the phone. It's uh... God knows. I know. Yeah, that that's another re- really important thing. Is it? You come across it in in many different areas of business where. Especially, sadly, with COVID, it's it woefully exposed some businesses. Obviously, you, you have to um, sympathise that, you know, some people may be a little bit too old school and, you know, they haven't adapted and evolved. But um, even in normal circumstances, you have to be willing to move with the times, especially with your role, um, yeah. you know, is closely connected with technology. But... It goes with anything, you know, if, if you just think, no, I'm, I'm sticking to this and I'm not willing to change. Well, like you say, you're going to get left behind and someone else is going to end up taking your spot. With Precisely <laughs> that. I, yeah. I knew, you know, I've always had a word with myself. I have a word with myself every week. <laughs>
2: and that time I had a word with myself and I said, perhaps like, if you don't do this, somebody else is going to do it. And I'm sure there's people out there that have thought of ideas and then thought, wow, I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden you see, you know, somebody else has already done it.
1: You know, and it, and it sort of deflates you. And but but I, I always say to people, don't give up. Yeah. Keep, keep going. I mean, even to this day, right now,
2: no one still has nobody has still created a real time video mixing app, especially anything like this. You know. And, were you surprised
0: yeah, that? Yeah. It's going to be amazing. Were you surprised that nobody else had done it? Because I know you said that it did it had to um, require a lot of patience and it it took like ten years. Did Did you think maybe like a bigger like corporation or conglomerate would have stolen that idea before you was always that grain of that in the back of your mind or not really?
2: No, uh, uh, you know, that's, that's a very good question. No, that, that never bothered me because, you know, I'm a true believer that competition is also good good for business, but, but nobody has created anything like it yet. Um, and the fortunate thing for me, I found the right developers
0: Right. to,
2: to develop yeah They're world-class developers, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they're Spanish. And uh, when I first approached them about the app, uh, they looked at me and said, well, this is pretty uh, pretty out there. Uh, but, you know, they're they normally corporate-type um, apps. And they said, well, look, the best person for us to create this for would be a VJ. And I said, well, I am a VJ. <laughs> when, I, when I'm in a suit, in a, at a time, I don't look like a VJ, right? But when I'm dressed like this and just casual, yeah, you know, maybe I still don't look like a VJ, but they said, uh, yeah, this would be perfect for a VJ. I said, well, I am. They said, well... Yeah, who do you work with what gigs do you do? I said, well, I, I work with Carl Cox. <laughs> 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 yeah. They're, they're, they're massive Carl Cox fans. The Spanish love techno. Yeah, of course.
0: Carl Cox. Yeah. yeah and, uh, and they did it, and they said, right, we're on this, and, they said,
2: right, okay, so, uh, and, and, and this is where we're at now, you know. And it was great because a couple of years back, uh, in, in the middle of the development, um, I, I took them to Ibiza. And introduced them
0: to Carl Cox. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they were so made up. They, you know, they
1: just, are you know, still, are still talking
0: about it now. Yeah, that, that's quality. I love what you're saying there because um, one thing I really like from when we first spoke is obviously you're, you're very humble. You operate behind the scenes. You know, same as me, very casual looking. So when you approach these people initially, they may look and think, "Oh, who, who's this guy? Who have you worked with?" You say, "Oh, Carl Cox." They go, so, yeah, "Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll look at this for you then."
2: But, you know, I had to prove it to them. Luckily, on my phone, I have, you know, some history, you know, with Carl and some videos and stuff just to prove to them, you know, that I'm not pulling their leg. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and they were like, wow, this is something, this is, yeah. this is just crazy. They never thought this would ever happen to them because they're so used to creating corporate apps. And then for me to go into, into their office and say, I want to create this for the music industry, you know, and for everyone, it was just like, right we're going to do
0: this and they've done it and they've done a fantastic job yeah and you know your role as a a visual mixer is probably considered one of the more obscure and specialist roles in the music industry did you always work in technology you know like back in the day and, and you also liked electronic music or was it like a natural so was it a natural progression where you worked in technology and you also liked electronic music or did it come about a bit more randomly
2: was by chance. I mean, before I, I became a you know a VJ and a, a visual artist, I was working for, uh, in the corporate industry uh, in the blue chip company in London. I used to go in and install all the all the projection systems in their boardrooms,
0: and I used to teach the directors on how to use PowerPoint. You know? <laughs> now we're going back. Right? <laughs> what year was <is> that? <laughs> Probably uh, late late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. Right? And. Uh, A great company. I mean, uh, it was a company called Matrix, and the managing director is still a great friend
2: of mine. um And um, he's watched he's watched my my journey within the music industry because when I handed in my notice, it it was quite a sad day because i have been with that company for like eight years, Mm. and and, you know we all got on really, really well. I actually DJed at all all the guys went, including the managing directors, went, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a soul boy at heart, so I, they all like their soul music. Yeah. And uh, so we did that, and then, you know, I got headhunted by the uh, the British film Centre at the time, a gentleman, a gentleman by the name of Andreas Wittem-Smith, and uh, he had a company called Notting Hill, which was, uh, you know, it was, it was weird how it all happened because it was at the same time as the movie with Hugh Grant. Yeah. You know? and Liz Hurley at Notting Hill, so whenever I'd ring someone, I'd say, hi, it's Habs from Notting Hill, and everyone would go, oh, oh, all right, cool, and, uh, and that's how it started, you know, and, uh, and then and i just introduced, you know, the visual mixing, um, the content side of stuff to the company and said, look, this is the way forward, you've got, we've got a great graphics team here, let's create content for bands uh, to go on tour. So the first band that we created uh, content for was uh, a band called Nine Inch Nails,
0: yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard of those. Were they under Jimmy Iovine's record label? Do you know
2: what? I haven't.
0: Yeah, know, but... I watched a random documentary on Netflix about Jimmy Iovine, you know, the guy who, he, I think he did the mastering for the Beatles, but he also worked with, like, Dr. Dre and stuff, but I think they're one of the bands that he signed under his label back in the day. I might, I might be wrong, but, yeah, I have I have heard of them
2: to Nine Inch Nails by a gentleman called Mark Brickman, who was the lighting director for Pink Floyd. So he, he came to, to to my office in Notting Hill and loved what we were doing. And so the yeah. visuals sure that you guys are playing would be perfect for a band that I'm working on. I've never heard of Nine Inch Nails before. <laughs> I was never into rock music. Yeah. So, so it went on from Nine Inch Nails to the Pet Shop Boys, to Leftfield uh, and a few others. And, and then, you know, we took it to another level where we started doing the PJ stuff at, mm. at and while I was uh, at uh, a festival in Brighton called the Essential Festival I was there video mixing and, and there's a guy called Mike Walker who used to work for a company called CT who was their sales director and he'd and he come up to me and he said to me yeah,
1: who's,
2: who's, who's in charge of all these wacky graphics <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that'll I, be me, me. <laughs> so we need to have a chat uh, I said I said well I can't talk to you now because you know I'm in the middle of a trance set here, and, <laughs> uh, that and he lets me up. So he came to my office in London following week, and uh, I said, "You know, I'm Habs, Mike. We're, we're great friends now." And uh, I said, well, "You know, how can I help you, Mike?" He goes, "Look, I've got, uh, you know, an opportunity for you." I said, well, "What is it?" He said, "Have you heard of Glastonbury?" I said, "Yeah." And he goes, "Well, how would you like to do the, the pyramid stage at Glastonbury, the main stage?" And uh, I said, well, okay. I, you know, I've never been to Glastonbury, so I didn't know much about it. All I knew was Nine Inch Nails and uh, the Pet Shop Boys were, were playing there and they used our visuals for their show. There. So I went back to the office and told the boys and they all started freaking out. I said, well, I, I, said, well, I met this guy. who said, I oh, got this a guy with a wacky graphics, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then,
0: um, just to cut long story short, we ended up, you know, doing the main stage at Glastonbury for nine years. Who were the best... <laughs> Acts that you worked alongside then at Glastonbury because I've never been, but I've seen goes that saying, you know, one of the biggest festivals in the world, and um, I listen to all kinds of music. But you look over the years, has been, um, you know, Orbital who did Chime. You know, you look at some of those live performances, and um, what what were the biggest acts that you worked with over those years? Uh, oh, Basement Jacks was one. Uh, the Killers, we we did them all because it was quite fortunate. That we were doing such a good
2: job on mm. the main stage, that they uh, then ended up offering me the dance tent as well, and then the other stage. So I was running three arenas at Glasgow, um, and and it was amazing, great uh, week, you know, every year. And uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, I got approached by Carl, yeah, Carl Cox, and said, you know, would you like to come and work with me? We'll go around the world and do our visuals blah right, right. blah. So I turned around to the guys at Glasgow and said, look. I think I've done my nine years. Let's give someone else an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and that's what we did. You we know, gave someone else an opportunity to take over the main Did you have any
0: say in in that, you know, that transition from when you were passing it over to somebody else? I mean, I know that obviously it, it's not for you to say, as it's not your festival, but did you have any kind of input for your own expertise and who, who you rated that was maybe no, up and coming? Or? No,
2: it's a good question, Carol, kind of, because I was, I was, I'm always so busy, I'm always busy. Now, I, I never got to meet any other VJs, mm. you know, because I was so busy doing what I was doing every in week out, um, and and the, v, the VJ scene wasn't that, that big thing. Yeah, and so that's why they offered me dance tent and the other stage, right? because we, you know they were so impressed with, you know, with our professionalism and what we were doing that they just wanted us. You know, they offered us all of that, but it got to a point where you know I'd done nine years and I was offered a great opportunity uh, with a legend. That is Carl Cox. You know, I had to research his music because I didn't know nothing about techno. <laughs> believe it or not. And, and I
0: loved it. Yeah.
2: And then, then I've got a friend of mine who I told about Carl Cox. She said, look, her name's Mandy, and I uh, said, Mandy, this is, uh, I've been approached by a guy called Carl Cox. Let me take you to one of his gigs. Right, so we ended up going to the, uh, the Zach Club in Brighton, and Carl was playing. He, he was doing uh, a, a charity event for a friend of his, Carlos, who was from Chile, who passed away, and they were raising money for his family chill so I went there and uh, I loved the music and everything and it, it just that's that, that's where I've
0: ended up you know yeah yeah Being with Carl it's like, all very uh... it was quite strange because I'd actually done a
2: gig with Carl three years prior to that at the West Point Arena in, in Essex and, sorry not in Exeter uh, with Slinky and he played one of his famous six hour sets um, I think I've told you the story yeah but, yeah uh, And he was, he he got his driver to call me back to his dressing room after his set. And uh, I walked in and I goes, hi, I'm absent. He goes, are you guys doing the visuals? I said, yeah. He goes, I just wanted to say they're amazing. Thank you very much. And he was the first ever DJ to to compliment me on my work. i never forget that day. And uh, and that was amazing. And then I didn't see him for three years after. (laughs) And then I was, I had an office in Regents Park which I was sharing with uh, one of the world's biggest promoters, Harvey Goldsmith, you know, put on live aid and everything. And uh, um, they uh, came up to me and said, look, uh, there's a DJ called Carl Cox, and uh, they want to have a meeting with you. So uh, so I went to Chiswick, had a meeting, and I walked in, and Carl, Carl was just walking out the room, and he looks at me, and he goes, I recognize you. <laughs> and I said, oh, how's uh, He goes, uh, he goes, where do I know you from? I said, well, I did a gig with you three years ago at Slinky at the West Point Arena. And he goes, sure, what? I can't believe it's you. Because I was wondering what happened to you. <laughs> and that was it. That was the beginning
0: of me working with Carl Cox. Yeah, that's amazing.
2: That, that he remembered me from three
0: years prior. Yeah.
2: I like and it just shows you, the man himself, that he, you know when he sees something good, he really appreciates it and he doesn't forget. He's got a great memory for
0: stuff like that. Yeah, definitely, mate. Now, that that's amazing how it all kick-started. I think it, it, it goes back to the fact that You probably stood out compared to a lot of other people. You know, you weren't just doing the generic visual display where it all becomes very predictable. You know, if you were pushing the boundaries and doing stuff that was quite left field, that's the stuff that's going to get you noticed. You know, when you have those people that go out of their way to approach you and say, "Oh, you know, you who's the person doing these wacky visuals." It, it goes with anything, any, any part of the industry, whether, whether, like I was saying before, if you're a DJ, producer, visuals, anything that you're doing, because it's become even more saturated in recent years, whatever you're doing, you have to make sure that you really stand out f- from, from the crowd. You've got to, uh,
2: you know, I'm a true believer that if you're going to mix visuals to music, especially in a library, that's got to be on point. Yeah. And, when the, and especially with dance music, because when the drop's coming and... In recent years, there's been a lot more drops in dance music, right? And as soon as those drops come in, you have to go
0: black out, mm-hmm. and everything, and then rebuild the energy in the room. Yeah. And you're building
2: that energy, you're building everyone else's energy as well. And, and, and that's so important. And one, one thing I, I've always done is prior to uh, us going live at an event, I've always got together with the lighting guy, uh, the sound guy, and the, the laser guy. And said, so listen, guys, you know, the way I work is I'll, I'll match you for colours. And also when the drops come in, I'm going to go brack out because it's not all about the visuals. Mm. You know, in the early days, we had projection screens. So we were always fighting with the lighting guy because they'd wash the proje- projection uh, images out. Yeah. And now now with LEDs, it's the other way around. You've got the lighting guys coming up to me saying, can you turn the LEDs down because they're wiping out, washing out my lighting, right? So that's why it's so important to work
0: together yeah. right, at events because it's
2: a show. You
0: know? It's not about it's not about them and it's not about you. It's about the show as a whole, isn't it? And um, you know, if, if you're fighting with one another and there's not that communication and um, you know, like you say, we're working together, then it it's not going to be what what it deserves to be. And um, was it difficult? You know, you were saying, you know, one minute you'd work with the likes of the Killers, then Basement Jacks. I know that some of the stages are quite diverse, where you might have. You know, it's not like it, it, a dance tent, you know, generally you might have a couple of hours of techno. Was it hard going from that transition? Because surely would the style of visuals be different if you're dealing with the Killers as a band, which is more, but I don't know if you'd say they're, they're rock music as such, but then Basement Jacks are more dance orientated. Was it hard going through that tran- those transitions? It will
2: be, be the speed of the, of the movement because, you know, I try and match the, the, the content
0: with the speed of the music. Yeah. Right? Because you can't put on
2: dreary slow stuff when you've got some high energy Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. It just doesn't work. Mm. Right? But if you've got some sort of, you know, classical music or everything or anything like that, you just mellow it down. You have to you have to work with what you've got. Mm-hmm. And you've got to work with it in the right way because otherwise it, it just looks, you know, you're just wasting your time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right? Or just turn the screen off and let, let them just uh, perform. You know, if you haven't got the content but you know it's, it's, one thing i found with, with dance music in particular you've got to have energy in your visuals It's yeah really more because you're, you're playing with people's senses you're playing with their eyes you're playing with their ears
2: and you're playing with their arms and their legs because <laughs> it's getting them going you know and yeah people have come up to me during the events and said wow you know the whole thing just works and it's like i said the same with the lighting guys you work with them and the laser guys
0: it's really important that's why when the lasers are on I always turn the screens off. you know
2: because you know you get to see the strength of that
0: laser going through the room it's that level of professionalism as well isn't it where full respect to you you know you were saying before the event even started you know you're liaising with other people that are working behind the scenes you know you're not just being arrogant and assuming that you can turn up five minutes before the set starts and wing it you know you don't get to that level of any industry unless you do your research, make the effort before the gig to, you know, like you say, work work with the relevant people and, and go that extra mile, so. Yeah, it's really important, I mean, one thing I've always uh,
2: stood by is always getting to the, the venue first and early, and always being the last to leave, mm. right, because if you get there early, you know, you're not uh, getting in anyone else's way, because the lighting guys have got to set their stuff up sound guys run their cables and this and the other. and then you're looking for space you know in the front front house position you know all that but if you're all there on time or you're there early, you get your spot and you start working you know and we and, and can see there's nothing worse than trying to set up your kit during a sound check
0: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and I just wanted to go back chronologically as well to even before you started doing the, the, the visual work I know you said that um, through your earlier years you were more into into the soul, um, kind of music. So I assume it's like your James Browns and that and those kind of artists. Yeah, funk and soul, eighties funk and soul. Yeah. All day long. yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, I love a lot I of eighties. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. So in in your younger years then, and I know you said that you didn't really get into electronic music until was it Carl started and um, well, approached you or? before Carl, uh, it was
2: because um, I went from the garage from it's a London
0: thing. Yeah. Uh,
2: to trance. Right. And, then, uh, and I started doing all the Slinky gigs because Slinky. There was a, there was a, a time in in the nineties where Slinky, Gatecrasher, uh, God's Kitchen, Cream were all running the show when it came to dance music. Right. So um, unfortunately for me, I was. Present at all of those events, I you know I was working at all of them. Mm-hmm. You know I ran the main stage at uh, Global Gathering many times. Uh, Slinky at uh, uh, your homelands, you know, Creamfields. Uh, you know I toured with Terry Corston before I toured with Carl. You know, so you know I I I did I, you know I had all my practice.
0: Yeah yeah yeah.
2: Such. And then when I got to Techno, I thought wow this is amazing. And then when I ended up at Space Ibiza,
0: that was the next level. Yeah yeah the yeah. No club ever. That is going to be in this world the space. I think, yeah. and to have to be
2: working on the the number one night on the planet on a Tuesday night at space was to me a blessing. Mm.
0: And
2: then it's something I'll never forget.
0: Yeah, it's, it's one of those pinch yourself moments where you look back at you know your your corporate job where you were putting the projectors in, and then you think, Christ, this is a bit of a change, isn't it, compared to those days in the office? It was. It was. and it was funny because the, the company that I left, Matrix.
2: the the managing director turned up to space one night. He turned up for one of the closings, uh, I think it was 2010, with his wife, and he said it was the best night he ever had. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, and to me that says it all, you know, for someone that's never been to Ibiza and then comes to Ibiza for the first time and and
0: spends his first night out at space, it's probably the best way to do it, I think. Mm, Absolutely. You know where uh, back in you know like the the late eighties and, and the nineties. I know that with the nature of your role, you would have actually been working the event, so you know you would have been sober most of the time and you know really professional and and it your all. And um, did you ever go to any of those like illegal warehouse raves that Carl was playing in like the late eighties and the early nineties? Or not really your thing back in the day? I did You know, and you know, I'm, I'm not really a drinker. No, no. And, and
2: I can put my hands up and say no one's ever seen me drunk in all the years I've been working in this industry. It's not that I'm against it. it's mm. just my like taste. Yeah, and it's not my thing. Because <laughs> you know, I'm so focused on on the job. Yeah. You know, and and you know, you're, you know, you're under the spotlight all the time on what you're doing. hmm And and there's nothing worse than you know getting on the drink and then and then losing the plot. You know, because everything I do is on point.
0: Yeah, yeah, of you know, course.
2: And, and and you can't afford to. To, you know, to ruin that opportunity by by you know by getting drunk or you know, getting on all the silly stuff they're never interested me That's why that's why 25 years later I'm
0: still in the game. Mm. I think there's probably not not many other roles alongside yours that require that level of of concentration because like you say you know it's a matter of if you miss the drop by a couple of seconds and that happens a couple of times and people start to notice well why is that happening then yeah. you know you can be disposed of pretty easily and then they'll replace you with somebody else
2: well you can be I mean you know I've always you know, lived by the, by the saying that you're only as good as your last geek mm. you know and you know I, I am my own worst critic so you know I'll always want to do everything you know right and thank, thank God touch wood I've never had any you know mess ups or anything like that in all the years I've been doing this so yeah you know, I long, long may that continue
0: <laughs> definitely mate I know you were saying earlier on with your job in the corporate environment, and then there was that pivotal moment where you handed in your notice. Was that when you were working events, were you working events on the weekends, so you'd have like your nine to five role and then you'd do your weekend work with the visuals, or when was that pivotal moment where you handed in your notice and you knew you no, could go full- time? It, it was one
2: to the other. I, you know, when I left Matrix and then joined Notting Hill not uh, you know we were first creating content for bands to take on tour so we produce the content on vhs tapes send it to their management and then they'll turn up to an event and making sure that they had a vhs player on the right
1: uh,
2: <laughs> you now and and that was it and, but it was only after uh, i realized that we had something really special here that um i thought right let's let's offer our services to go and do you know, club nights and stuff. So we started doing it's a London thing. And 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 we started doing that and then people started noticing what we we're doing. We had this amazing software program called Dance DNA, uh, which nobody in the world had, which you know, we could do everything live. We just took a sound feed from the, the mixing desk into the computer and it and it read the sound and we could make it the images react to the the, the high hats, the low hats, the bass whatever we wanted. And it was just out of this world.
0: Yeah. What was it? What was it that inspired you then, back then, to actually start visual mixing from from scratch? Uh, because I did my research and realised there was no one else doing it. Okay. Uh, and I thought this is this is the way forward because if this is the future. Someone's got to start. You know, the only people that were mixing visuals was was on the TV. Yeah. Yeah. You know, nobody was doing it live. You know, at events. You know, and uh, so I thought there's an opportunity here, yeah, a
2: yeah, groundbreaking
0: opportunity. Yeah, definitely. Let, let's let's grasp it and, and move forward with it, and we did. Yeah, that, that that's amazing. So next of all, let's come on to your close relationship with undoubtedly not just a legend of the scene, but probably I would say still the biggest artist in electronic music now, Carl Cox, um, and it has has been for a number of years. Um, I know you mentioned originally that. Initial encounter where he invited you into his dressing room, and then yeah. you. Um, I know we discussed, which I love the, the kind of law of attraction where you almost feel like some things in life are meant to happen. Um, and you you naturally re- reconnected with him at a later date. Um, what year was it when you when you first started working with him? And did you just go straight on tour with him, or did you do a couple of more domestic shows and then went on tour? Or how did that relationship come about? We went
2: And uh, which is amazing. I still
0: got the footage now. Yeah. And and, and and we did that with VHS tapes, right? Because I'd
2: gone from Glasto doing VHS to, to that. And they lo- it was just amazing that people loved our content. And I looked back at it and I thought, God, they loved our content and it was on VHS. You know? And uh, and that's what we did. So we went to Matt Paris and did that. And, and, and then it went uh, from there, strength to strength. Because Carl was coming back into the big time because he took a little break for a while. And um, you know he only used me for the big stuff because that was it was all about creating an impact. There because it, the big stuff is where, that, where they had the hardware like the screens and everything. I right, had the budgets. Yeah. In, in, a, in a club, you know, you know, the, the, the club couldn't afford Carl Cox and me and and everything else. You know, to put screens in and yeah. what have you. Right. So you know, I focused with Carl on all the bigger stuff. Yeah, the only club that I really you know
0: that really put the money into all
2: of that was Space Lupita. Mm. You know,
0: because they had the numbers. Yeah. What, what year was that when you, because I know you worked as his personal visual artist for like eight years at Space. What was the first year that you started working with him? And Did he have his residency then, like his own night when you first started working with him or was he just DJing without, I know he was a resident, but was it without his own night when you first started working with yeah. him?
2: Tuesday night. Yeah. And, uh, and, but they w- wanted to relaunch it with, with visuals. Which
0: mm. is What they did, and they brought, uh, they brought me in in two thousand uh, and five, uh, and two thousand four, two thousand five. Trying to think about that. And
2: um, it, it was it was tough to start with because it was English guys going into Spain into a Spanish club <laughs> and trying to get them to do what you know, to do what we wanted to do, which was to do visuals and stuff. And you know it was. The first season was very difficult. It was very manana manana and you wanted things to get done, and it took forever. Yeah. But but you know once they got to know you
0: and understood the way you
2: work and how, you know how you wanted things done, it was done. It was never an issue off and and they, they were brilliant. The people that worked at space were like again another family that you looked forward to seeing every summer. Yeah. And then you, you know you were there for twelve weeks every summer, and and you know it was just it just went like that. You know
0: how how relentless was your schedule at its at its height at, at its peak because people just think you know as, as a punter you'll go to space on a tuesday night you think carl cox residency obviously you know living the dream because you know that, that's all he wanted to do since he was a kid you know you're living your dream as well traveling the world as a visual mixer but if you imagine on a tuesday night you'd be at space where would you then be the rest of the week at, at your busiest
2: i'd fly into a a beta on a monday we'd do space on a tuesday wednesday uh i'd try and catch up on some sleep and then i'd fly back or if we had more gigs which we did because in the summer you know we'd go to you know another country or come back to the uk and do the festivals in the uk or you know know, i'm not trying to blow my own trumpet but carl you know we also went out flew out on private
0: jets yeah yeah to different countries and 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 experienced that as well. Yeah. Uh,
2: So it it, it just varied, but normally the way it would work, choose that space, right, because all the DJs were available during the week, and then on the weekends, all the DJs around the world were always at a festival somewhere in Europe or the UK. Yeah. And that's how it worked. It was always, always flat out.
0: like you say before in terms of your professionalism and and remaining sober you you have to do that so that you can perform properly when you're there but just also for for your mental and physical well-being because um sadly you know there's been plenty of cases over the years where people are excessive with the party lifestyle and you know the, the lack of sleep and everything else but you know if you're going from ibiza you might be on a private jet but you know if you're going from country to country you know, and you then have to get on stage again and perform. You put your body and your mind under such an intense level of pressure that you know, sadly, in some cases, your mind can just can just go. So you have you have to be really sensible, don't you, in that respect?
2: Extremely sensible. That's why, like I said, we flew it on a Monday, Tuesday at space, Wednesday we had a break, then uh, uh, oh, and Thursday if, if possible, and then Friday we fly. Uh, back to the UK or, or to somewhere in Europe. Yeah. And we always paced ourselves. And like us say, we'd do the gig. This was the great thing about working with Carl. We're, we'd turn up at an event, we'd we'll, we'll check into our hotel. Uh, we'll, we'll, we're all set down set, set, set times on what time we're going. So I'd get there a couple of hours before Carl would get there and uh, get things set up. Uh,
0: he'd, he'd do his set, which was always amazing. And, and we'd leave. We would never stay back yeah. time, you know, for an after party. We'd go back to the hotel. Yeah, it must be hard job, though. Talk about the gig and then go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair play though. Cause, I mean, it it must be hard at times because obviously, a, an artist of of that stature, and um, you know, obviously you're one of his right hand men as well. You know that, to an extent, there must be a, a little bit of of temptation, but you have to rein yourself in and say, well, no, we've got another job in one or two days' time. If we stay and it gets out of hand and you know there's no sleep and whatever happens happens whether it's drink or whatever else it's uh it's it's not going to be any good but um I'm, I'm one of those people especially on these interviews I'm never intrusive about people's lives but I think it's been pretty well documented that people like yourself and artists like Carl last so long in the game because they don't really get involved in that side of the industry um it, it's, you can't really sustain a career for that long, can you? Because otherwise, you know you it it's normally mentally, isn't it? I mean, physically you're going to impact yourself, but mentally it will take a toll after a while. It will it will catch up on you. And, I mean, you know, Carl is a perfect example of that. He's a perfect example of that. Um, where he's um he's
2: going to be sixty next year, and you wouldn't think it. You know, no, he no. himself. You know, he's, he's had a great life and, and, and a longer one to be, you know, I know he's got loads more years ahead of him, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he's still doing it now, even in Australia now, he's doing loads of stuff online, a lot of stuff for charity, you know, and, uh, and and it's great to see, because, you know, he's leading by example, Yeah, and, and if other DJs followed his example of being professional, and the way he is, and go to a gig, do the job, and go, leave, and go and get some sleep, and be, prepare yourself for the next... Uh gig Mm -hmm. you know it gives you longevity yeah and that's what
0: he's got no absolutely mate can you put into perspective i know it's probably difficult at times to really put into words how magic space was because i mean i was never lucky enough to go the year that i was supposed to go was 2016 which was his final year His, his his closing wasn't it so i i definitely uh final chapter yeah and it takes pride pride in my lounge was it 10 hours that he played on that yeah. final night and and
2: vinyl he played vinyl it was
0: just amazing to see that yeah you know crazy that, that proved how much of a legend he, he is yeah uh, you know he played the, the most emotional night at space in its history and he played vinyl because so that's where he started crazy isn't it obviously th- that would have been one of the main standout sets over the years because I think there's probably a lot of people who may have um, missed the boat with space or people even listening who, who want to reminisce and have that nostalgia because you were there week in week out what are the main standout sets that you remember from both Carl and other artists because not forgetting you know some of the artists that he brought through whether they're up and coming or established the lineups were just absolutely ridiculous oh,
2: to be honest because the summer went so quickly um, you know the only the only sets like I could say that stood out were the closing closing night yeah every closing night with Loco guys DJ Sneak Carl Cox. you know it was it was every every year mm-hmm. like I remember one year Kylie Minogue turned up <laughs> to one of the closing parties and she actually because uh, she, she's not very tall bless her she looked over the uh, the, DJ, uh, the DJ booth from the VIP I looked at me and said, uh, Can I come in the DJ booth and say hello to Carl? Uh, I said, Yeah, okay, no problem, walk around, so she walked around. And I let her in and, and I, got, I got it on video. Kylie Minogue into the DJ booth. <laughs> I stood there in the front <laughs> and, this, and no one could believe it was Kylie Minogue. You know? nice.
0: I've seen many uh, characters like that, you know, uh, that have come
2: in like. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not. I'm not ever going to go down that road. Yeah.
0: There was a guy. I think you might have met him before. Um, Nick Ferguson lives yes. out in really? Ibiza and He was on someone else's podcast, and he was saying the one night. I don't know if it was amnesia that he was working at, but he he had a telephone call to say, you know, that there's quite a high-profile like celebrity or or actor that that's coming. Um, and and he and he spoken about it openly, which he can now. Um, and he went to like, the back door and he says, look, the guy doesn't want to be bothered. He's with his minder. Um, and it was Leonardo DiCaprio. And, and DiCaprio... It. Yeah, walked in and, um, you know, didn't want to be bothered or anything. He goes, you know, wants to remain really low-key. Nick said, five minutes later, Leonardo DiCaprio's in the DJ booth. He said, well, he didn't want to stay that low-key, did he? You know, if you're on the dance floor and you see Jack from Titanic in the DJ booth, it's like yeah. crazy. It is
2: bad. I mean, like... I say uh, I remember one one day, uh, one Tuesday night, I'm there video mixing in the DJ group uh, with Carl, and then Ian, our uh, tour manager, looks at me and goes, Look who's behind you? So I look around it, and, and I said, I don't know, it's who, some little bloke, right? And I goes, Who's he? He goes, It's Lionel Messi. No way. He's <laughs> 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 behind me watching me
0: doing all the visuals, right? What's looking at? My Never. Body. And I
2: I, I I said to Ian, Well, what's he doing here? well he obviously
0: loves techno yeah and, yeah yeah he was, he was loving it i have seen i have seen there was a picture of um him in vip at ushwayo because i think people forget sometimes you know a lot of these public figures you know that they, they don't all just listen to top 40 a lot of them um you know li- listen to to the underground music as well because you know like your spanish your italians your um you know your south american countries as well you know house and techno is massive in in those in those countries but uh that's, that's definitely a good shout there, mate, Lionel Messi. I don't think he gets much bigger than him, does it? Oh, lady, mate. I mean, uh, I, there's one person I didn't let in, the DJ boss, which was Paris Hilton.
2: Right? I didn't let her in. She cut her with her paparazzi, and, and uh, uh, her manager had uh, come up to me and said, can, I, uh, can I Paris Hilton come in and see and, and get a picture with Carl? And I said, no. Right? And it's because the week before, she'd split up with Afrojack.
1: Yeah. So she wanted to come, she came to space to come and hang out with the big boys, right? <laughs> so, and I said, no, right? And uh, the seat walked off. Right? <laughs> and then, and then, well, a few minutes later, uh,
2: so who turned up? I so, It's gone out of my head now. Um, I, I'll remember in a minute. All
0: right, so carry on. Oh, good. Uh, yes, yeah, so I, I just noticed. So Sister Fledge turned up. No way. And I let them in. <laughs> <laughs> They're <legends. laughs> Yeah, of course. I think there's, there's a difference, isn't it? Obviously, I, I don't want to uh, use Paris Hilton as a scapegoat, but I feel like there, there are some people that have that self entitlement and uh, you no know, expectation that you know everything's just going to be handed to them. It's like, no, that's not how it's always going to happen. And, you know, t- tough shit. Oh, it's just, you know, I'm not the, the
2: doorman for the dj
0: day booth Space, but... I was just there, uh, I just feel like I was in the right place at the right time to take no and
2: say yes, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. It was
0: just uh, fun times <laughs> to remember. Definitely, mate. With uh, Loco Dice is an interesting one as well because back in the day, was he Timo Mass's tour manager before he blew up and became an artist? I don't know how true that is, well, but I know he's I, been I around. I don't know, but, uh, but I used to love watching him uh, DJ because he was DJ with Dubplates. Uh, yeah. Plays.
2: And he was just—he was just brilliant. He was one of the nicest DJs you'll ever meet mm. uh, again. Um, that was the beautiful thing about Carl. You know, for the closing, he always showed the nice people. Yeah. To be there because it was always a special night, you know. And uh, and you knew you knew the lineup before they even announced it, you know, because it was always the regulars. Yeah. You know? And it was brilliant.
0: Yeah, L- Loco Dice is another one. Just I've I've seen some absolutely unbelievable sets from him over the years in in different countries. And, uh I'm not sure if I've ever watched him in Ibiza, but I've watched him in in Amsterdam and a lot of festivals here. And just the the, the level of consistency and you know, it's one of the questions I was going to come on to. But you know, your Carl Coxes and your Loco Dices, they don't try and be anyone else. They are unique. They're their own individual, and that's why they get to that level and that's why they stay there for, for so long yeah. as well because they're not trying to replicate they're just this is what I'm about and this is yeah. what I'm going to do
2: yeah another, another DJ like that is Dubfire another
0: amazing oh amazing Dumpfire. amazing uh, brilliant absolutely yeah. brilliant he, you know he's very uh, laid back
2: keeps himself to himself all he wants to do is do his best and he
0: does every time he wants yeah to there was a festival here in Birmingham called Chapter Festival. Uh, Chapter Twelve was in 2016, and that lineup was your Richie Hortons, Jamie Jones, Capriati. Capriati's another one, because I know Carl and Joseph are very close friends, aren't they? They play, they they play some some quite big back to back sets, and uh, some some of the sets I've seen them play, and you even watch it on YouTube, and it's that na- that natural chemistry isn't there between artists like Carl and. Uh, Joseph, what I was going to ask actually before we before we move on, what are some of the best back to backs you've seen in play? Because I know he plays with Joseph. What are the others that have occurred over the years? Um, uh, the back to backs, well, with uh, Loco guys, boy, brilliant.
2: Um, there's so many, you know. It's just, I mean, even the ones with Nick Fanciulli, been great. Yeah. Base, you know, can't deny that. Um, you know, um. It's weird, you know, it, I mean, like I say, I remember uh, us being in Perth uh, uh, one weekend when we were in Australia doing a tour, and uh, Andy Seed turned up, right, and, and before you knew it, Carl started playing drum and bass, <laughs> but, I, I, but only Carl Fox can get away with that, Yeah. He started playing drum and then Andy Seed going, wow, this is amazing, and he's like, you could never see Andy
0: Seed in, yeah, in the mosh pit, he was out there, doing." was <laughs>
2: playing drum and bass and playing
0: a good half hour set and everyone loved it. Yeah, that's that's one thing I was going to say actually, you, you look at Carl from like the late 80s when he was playing like hardcore sets and then moved into like the Acid House era and you know, such a versatile DJ that can literally play his hand to 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 any genre and you look at, um like you mentioned earlier on the sets that he's played um, during the, the the lockdowns, um, because he's in Australia, is it That's at right, the moment? Yeah, yeah and it, you know he's playing like your disco, your your classic house, and you think that that guy's record collection. I mean, I have I have seen a video before where he's almost got no, like I've a, got a video of thirty thousand vinyls. He's got six, yeah, sitting in his garage when I was there, and 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 John
2: Rundell digitized a, a large majority of them. Yeah, so it was just like.
0: Wow! Crazy. Uh, Just, just coming back to you because I appreciate that. um, I know that you, you don't ask for the credit in the limelight, but I don't want to make it a Carl Cox podcast when it's obviously about. You know what? At the end of the day, it's not a problem. Yeah, yeah. I I don't
2: get a chance to talk about my time with Carl very, very often, and and to share it with you and and everyone watching, it's it's my pleasure. Yeah. You know, it's all positive. It's all good. And, uh, you know,
0: there were great times and uh, times that will live, live with me forever. Mm. That's one thing, actually, with, with you um, reflecting there about how things were and how things are now. I mean, even pre-COVID, what is it that you preferred about the music industry back then? You know, like your your early noughties when you were um, working at Space with, with Carl, I mean, after 2005 and how things have, have changed maybe that you don't like so much now compared to how it was back then? Um,
2: if you want me to be quite honest, what I didn't like was the EDM thing. I didn't like that at all. I just
1: thought, you know, where, where, where is all this going? Mm. You know, it's just, I, I feel that it ruined the industry in a way, but obviously it, 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 it looked, you know, there's a, there's a, there
0: was a market for it. Yeah. It, you know, I mean, don't deny. It. I've done gigs with, uh, with Avicii, that mm. guy. God rest his soul. Yeah. Uh, I've done gigs with, you know, David Guetta and so on and
2: so forth. But you know, when you're used to working with the likes of Carl and, and all those amazing technology, you get, you know, you know that that's where the energy is. Yeah. You know? and, and and you know that's where you, you know, that's that's what it's all about for me. Mm. You know. Um, but th- that's the only thing I didn't like. Yeah. You know, and the way it's changed is the technology's changed. You know, and 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 you had to you know, change with it and move forward with it. Yeah. You know, and create content to go with that technology because you know, otherwise you get left behind, like we said earlier on. Mm. You know, the lasers have got better, the sound systems have got better. You know, it was not there wasn't a time where you know you got a festival to say like Ultra, uh, you would never imagine them having function one sound systems in every arena. Yeah. But you know. Uh, Andrew and his wife—they did, uh, you know, an amazing job there. And Andrew and Ann. Um and you know, to have that, you just went every arena you went to, just like banging bass. Yeah. It's all about it. It's all about the, the bass. And and they uh, even at a Space, uh, Tony Andrews uh, always turned up a week before and spent a week tweaking the sound system, the functional one system at
0: Space. Yeah. You know, I think to, that's yeah. those kind of clubs, like you say, with the investment, with the visuals, and bringing people like yourself in, but also. The sound systems, whether it's your DC tens, your yeah. your space, you know the, the the sound engineers and the level of work that goes into making those tweaks to just yeah. take it to that absolute next level. I mean, this, the sound systems there are just mind blowing. <laughs> exactly. That's why we all miss it. That's why we're all yeah. yeah. We're in lockdown because we're not out there getting, getting that no matter whether it's in Ibiza or anywhere else. Yeah. You know, you know. But, do yeah. Do you like feel like as, as we'll come back. do you feel like as time went on the rise of social media and smartphones created that, um, you know, I suppose, detachment between people on the dance floor and, you know, lack of maybe unity and solidarity because everyone's trying to capture the moment on their phones I mean, rather than... I mean, yeah, you know, I think one way it was bad, but in another way, everyone loved it because, mm. the, you know, we all live for our memories. Yeah. But capturing those
2: moments, you know, those memories that we'll never get again. Mm. You know, all those people that have got footage of being at space. Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna cherish those video t- uh, clips that they they managed to get
0: because I'm yeah, gonna yeah. get them again. Yeah.
2: You know, and and it was great for me as well, because people were filming what was going on on the stage. That's true. So so when I look back, you know, I can see what I was doing and where I can change or what, you know. It, just, it gives you an idea. Of what yeah. Other people, uh, I see and how they're seeing it. Yeah, there is definitely
0: pros there is definitely pros and cons because i mean there's someone who didn't get to experience space i can watch videos now of you know your steve lawless and uh even david uh greta when he was playing more um house because i think that's one thing i didn't realize until i got a bit older like david getter was playing actual like house vinyl on space terrace when it was um i mean <laughs> i shake my head because i i'm so gutted that i missed that period where you know, it was the terrace where it was more open air, and, and mm. the vibe and, and the atmosphere. I mean, I've been to Ibiza a couple of times, but people say it's just unrivaled. You know, you can, you could put that venue and that open air anywhere else in the world, but it wouldn't have that same vibe as, as it did yeah. in Ibiza. Well, especially at eight, 8
2: o'clock in the morning when you're walking out, you can walk straight across the road onto the beach, <laughs> right, and just sit there with your pals and just go, what was that all about? <laughs> right. Wow. You know, yeah. I think mental. There's nothing better than getting up at eight o'clock, more down to that beach, yeah, you know, play the bossa, and and just you know, just wanting to go back. But you know, that,
0: again, you have got to wait another week. Yeah. yeah. Well, what were some of the best sets you've seen on on the terrace? Because I know that that open air terrace is always really iconic for some of the sets over the years. Whether it was even like your residence or like your bigger artists, what what were some of the standouts for you there? And, uh,
2: you know i never got because i was always in the
0: main room yeah i never always got a chance to uh, to go into the terrace yeah um, because i was so focused on what was going on in the main
2: room and getting, getting that right but i used to pop in and just show my face and just say like hello to everyone but it was just a slightly different vibe in there but it was brilliant it was you know it was nothing like the main room the main room was like wow it's all going on and then you've got the terrace where everyone's there and and, and the dj booth is is quite close to you and you know, you can look up at the DJ, whereas in the main room you're you a bit further
0: back. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, I know there's a lot of people that have got brilliant memories of of
2: dancing in the terrace and space. You know, I have myself. You know, uh, and um, you know, oh. what can i can not say, let me think about this. Probably uh, John Dick Reed, I've seen him play a great set in there. Yeah. I've seen I've seen I've seen Nick Santucci play Joris Porne. Uh, he's played a great set in there over uh, the years, but but all of the DJs, even the ones that played in the main room have also had the pleasure of playing in in the terrace, you know
0: because even Carl, before he played in the main room, he always did an hour set in the terrace, mm. as you know. yeah, yeah and, cause, cause that's what, that's the way Carl is. He just wanted to make sure that he enjoyed every every moment of that that night. Yeah, he
2: played a set in the terrace before he went into the main room and
0: and and, and nailed it. Yes, quality. And um, to, to any creatives out there that that are intrigued or wish to pursue like the, the field of, of visual mixing, and um, what are the main pieces of like software or maybe courses or mentors that you would recommend to people who are looking at honing their craft and maybe doing what what you do?
2: Well, I, I use I use a pro, program called Modulo which I have now done for now for ten years. Um, but I, ta- I I'm self taught. I taught myself everything
0: because I, I you know I knew nothing about it. Industry and I think that was the best way to learn. Yeah. You know, but, you know, a lot of the,
2: uh, anyone who wants to be a VJ now have got it a lot easier than we did, because, you know, like I said, I started with VHS tapes, and I went through video servers, and now it's all on a laptop, you know. I just take a couple of laptops out, a couple of uh, MIDI controllers, you know, and a video mixer, and off we go. But in yeah. those days, you were running cables, you were doing this, putting up, you know, screens and everything. Uh, and now they've got it so easy where a lot of the venues now have got screens and all you do is you plug and you play. Yeah. But but all I can say to any DJ, it's not about what software you have,
0: it's about the content. And yeah. How you use that content and how you mix that content. Mm. You know? Because it's all about the
2: delivery. Same as a DJ, you can have all the records you want, but it's how you play them to the crowd. Very you play, true. And you, you do your reading. Yeah. Yeah. You, do it.
0: you know. It's, it's like now software. people will say you know you you could stand there in a dj booth and shazam every single tune or look over and and look at the cdj or have a peek in the record bag you could take all those records all those hidden gems that carl cox has picked up from years and years of accumulating them from record shops but it's all about how you say you experiment you know you hone your craft and you spend hours and hours in, in your bedroom or your studio you know thinking you know that track goes well together with that track well i think sometimes it's so that natural ability but then you put the hard working on top um as as well but i noticed that uh, we had the discussion around uh bradley gunn who i know we're both friends with and um, he messaged me today actually yeah, yeah yeah he messaged me he said look how i have to you for a
2: while i hope you're well and uh, then obviously i had to do this podcast with him so I, I'll, he will be the first person I replied to him as soon as we finished this podcast with. Yeah. Lovely guy, Bradley. And I'm so glad that he, you, know, you spent some time with him as well, because he's one of
0: those genuine, he's a gem. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely been one of my favourite parts of, of the music industry journey so far, was meeting him. Did you first meet him at The Social in Kent or was it Ultra Miami where you first met? No, no, I met him in, in
2: this
0: is a funny story, actually. <laughs> I met
2: him at The Social in, in, in Kent because
0: uh, they made that video of him dancing with the two uh, uh, to security guards. Yeah. And and that sort of like make, sort of semi made semi famous because
2: it, it went mad that that actual. that went totally viral. And then uh, the year he went to Ultra, it was a year I, I couldn't make it, but they got he got a bit stuck there, and so I got a couple of my friends uh, to to take care of him, and uh, they looked after him and sorted him out of the hotel and everything because you know there was a few issues with uh, the person that was supposed to organize it. Yeah. But it all turned out
0: really good in the end, so, which is great. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Um, I know that you've always been like, very grateful for, for the experiences and, and opportunities that have come your way, but it's been m- well documented in recent years, especially, like you say, um, God rest his soul, the likes of, of Avicii who've sadly taken their life, some of the pressures that come with... Um, the music industry, I know that he was, you know, massively in the limelight, you know, internationally famous, but even with a role like yours, as we've already discussed, even if you're sober, you know, you you, you go from one time zone to another, you're constantly in, in different hotels and jet lagged, um, what would you say have been maybe your biggest challenges over the years because of the demands of, of the role? Australia. Every yeah. It was, it was
2: always tough, right? Because it was, you know, it was a long flight, you know, it was like 11 hours to Singapore, then another 10 to, you know, to Melbourne or Sydney. And, uh, you know, but, but the fun part is, is that you always met someone else, because there was always a tour. Uh, you yeah, uh, know, the, the festival was called Stereosonic. Sonic, right? So they booked a, lo- a number of artists from Europe and the UK to go over there
0: and do the tour, so you always met someone on the on the flight, which which made it a lot easier. Thinking yeah, yeah. About what you're doing and what they're doing and how life goes. You didn't really talk about business. You just talked about life. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And stuff like that because something that you don't get to talk about very often when you're touring. Yeah. You know, it's all about your work. So that
2: always made it easier, but but it was always tough. Mm. Those long flights there, um, and uh, that's the only thing that could, you know. I, I became a bit claustrophobic in the end. And I'll tell you a story about that because I remember we, uh, I was with Carl, we were in Ibiza and we were flying to Croatia and uh, uh, one summer. And uh, we were at, uh, at Ibiza airport and there was a private jet waiting for us. but We'd been on tarmac for four hours. Yeah. Uh, in in the, you know, the July heat of Ibiza. Anyway, we got on the plane and they shut the doors and the next minute I, I, just, I don't know what came over me. And they started, they started taking off, going down the runway. I said, "Carl, I've got to get off, get off right Hill. So he told the pilot to stop the plane, and it stopped right at the end of the runway before it got to DCK, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, so they got me out. I got out of the plane, and I, just, I said, "Just take some." It was brilliant. Carl was brilliant about it. He said, "Just get, get off the plane, take some deep
0: breath. You know, you know, breathe," because it was boiling hot on the plane. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, oh, it's just unbearable. And... Uh,
2: I, I you know breathed took some uh, you know deep breaths and then I got back on the plane and uh, gave me some water shut the doors and uh, and it cooled down because once the, the engines are running right they get the aircon working so they got all that working next week we took off and we made it there and, uh, but that was one thing I always had. ever since that day I always had, I found it difficult yeah because you know, it, it never left my mind about you know getting on the plane just because with me Carl and Ian. Yeah, three big guys. We've
0: mm. got
2: a four-seater private jet, and we've got the pi- two pilots. Right. So, it's not that big, is it? I mean,
0: even though it's nice because you're not surrounded by a load of randomers, I think mean, most private jets aren't massive. And like you say, you know, you're all pretty big geezers, and then you've got the pilots as guy. well. Yeah, you know, in saying that, you know, when we've had flown, let's say the
2: BA or stuff, and we're at the airport, you know, we go straight into the, in the lounge just to get away from. Them. But when we're getting on our flight, you can see everyone looking at us.
0: You
2: know, and uh,
0: wanting selfies and this and yeah, but that, but that's that's the tough part of being Carl Cox. I suppose. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but the great thing about Carl, he always he never
2: said no to anyone. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a big
0: really thing, a isn't it? And and stuff. A lot, a lot of people have, have said that more recently. Um, Paul Gascoigne said the same as well. Um, when he was first coming through the ranks at Newcastle, um, he got a big too big for his boots, and he goes since. The day that he got smacked by a bouncer in Newcastle City Centre because he, you know, was was being, um, you know, too egotistical. You you you, you got to make time for for people, and I know sometimes it probably is tough, you know, if you've had a really long set and you know you've gone straight from the club to the flight, and you know you're a bit jet lagged and a bit tired. Um, but you know you, you got to remember, you know, you're kind of there for a reason. You know, I know that DJs are talented and they've done a lot of work off their own bat, but there's a lot of people who pay big money, you know, to go abroad and just to watch that one DJ in some cases. I do, I mean, I've got friends of mine
2: that I followed Carl all over the world. I mean, yeah. one of my friends, uh, you might know him, there's Mark Graham, he, he used to own Pucker Up, you know, the boat parties in that big Ibiza. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, he used to own that, but he used to fly around the world following Carl. <laughs> <laughs> and then, But it was Carl's 50th. Uh, I took uh, Mark as my guest to his 50th birthday at, to the, at the villa in L'Avita. Yeah. and he, he said
2: no one's ever
0: given
2: me such a good birthday present thanks <laughs> Habs and I said it's alright my pleasure <laughs> I
0: was going to say it doesn't get much better than that it's on my face yeah, yeah. It, would, it would have been a kick in the teeth though if he turned around and goes yeah it was nice nice present Habs but it wasn't as good as my 40th birthday present
1: <laughs> <laughs> last week yeah
0: yeah <laughs> But um, fr- from your experience working with, with some of these artists, whether it's like your you Carl Coxes, and I know there's been other pictures as well where you've been with like Buster Rhymes and Loco Dyson's Van Vath. Um, I know you've told me some of the stories about um, some of these actresses or, or whatever else. Who were some of the other like really big artists that you've worked with or, or bumped into randomly or people that have, have praised you? Because I know you're not one to blow your own trumpet, but I think there are some good stories here with... Some of the people I mean,
2: you've met. There are, a few, I mean, like I say, with Buster Rhymes, that was, yeah, he's a legend. I, me loving my funk and soul and stuff. It was great to get a call from his management in New York and say look, uh, we have got Buster Rhymes coming out to the UK and you know we'd like you to, you know, to, you know, be, you know, his DJ, video mix for his conglomerate tour. So and I thought, wow, that's pretty special, you know, and which I did, and and he loved it. And, uh, and it, it works really well. And then, you know, there's been other people, you know, like I say, you know, Uma Thurman, I, I met her in Russia, I was doing this Russian beauty contest, right. And I've done that for a couple of years, uh, on the run, but uh, Uma Thurman turned up, uh, the first one and uh, she saw what I was doing with the visual stuff, right, doing all the
0: visuals behind me, yeah. all the models as they were coming out. And she really liked it. So she came and sat next
2: to me and, uh, and next minute, you know, she said, can we have a picture together? I said, all right, I'd love one. Yeah. <laughs> so I so, yeah, to, started, I'm getting my phone and then she got her agent or whoever it was and take one, And it was just nice, you know, like, I, I couldn't
0: believe it. Yeah, yeah. You know, just, I, it's just, you know, this world and this life is all about being in the right place at the right time, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, but i met loads
2: of amazing people and, uh, but... I just I I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah, you know, I'd
0: take up too much of your time. No, no, you you carry on, mate. What what would you say other than like I mean Uma Thurman's massive. I mean, um, you know she's been in some great roles over the years. She she was in Pulp Fiction as well as Kill Bill. Yeah, Kill Bill, Kill Bill Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction,
2: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she, yeah. she's a great actress and very nice person as well. Lovely, lovely lady. Yeah. Very very, very humble, very calm. Yeah, you, know, you wouldn't even, you know, you know, I was looking for a smack in the face actually, but it didn't happen. <laughs> but, yeah. But it was just lovely.
0: Really, really lovely. What are some of the more obscure events that you've worked for? Because obviously, like a Russian beauty contest, to some would would seem a little bit obscure compared to working like with with Carl Cox. Have you have you had other like random requests to work events over the years? Or yeah,
2: I did a night for. Uh, uh, what's the time? It's half past nine. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I was uh, invited or asked to do a night called Submission, which is a fetish night by, uh, by a <laughs> guy called Rubber Ron, a great name well, Rubber Ron, and, uh, and uh, I'm sure quite a few people from the industry who are watching will know who Rubber Ron is. And uh, so he was doing a, a fetish night at Bagley's, which is closed down now, very famous club in uh, Kings Cross.
0: So I ended up doing that and that was very obscure, very weird, cause I've never done anything like that before. I think that was definitely one of those events where you didn't stay behind for the after party, mate. I think it was definitely in and out with those kind of events Yeah, yeah. that was uh, like a uh, you know, paper in my back of my pants. <laughs> <laughs> so, how yeah. how did that even come come about though? Because uh, it goes without saying you don't strike me as the kind of guy who'd be attending a fetish night. Did did they just approach you or? I've got a night called Submission. And- Thing is in, in back in the,
2: in the 90s you know everyone had weird names for their nights mm. so i just thought it was just another one of them weird nights and then uh, next minute i just see all these people with hardly anything on turning up and i thought <laughs> oh, just one of those things you're never gonna
0: forget i suppose yeah, yeah. I wanted... the other, other parties that I, I really remember
2: as well uh were red bull uh, in the early days when they were doing these guerrilla marketing parties and they had a, an armoured vehicle that they converted it was called a pins gower and they converted it and uh, to a, de- uh, like a mobile dj uh, sort of scenario with uh, function one speaker built in, and it opened up from the top and you had the dj booth and the speaker and everything and what they what they used to do was to drive it in the most most remote ple- places right and then they, they, you, you'd win a ticket to, to, the, to the party, but you had to turn up. Yeah. Oh, the example is Bournemouth. They did one, I right, turned up in Bournemouth, and they put, they sit with a coach, they black out all the windows of the coach, and then they take you to this location in the middle of nowhere. And this was their uh, Dirdle door. Just found this little, uh, little valley down there. And then, then the coach drops you off and you get out, and they've got all these little lights. You've got to follow the footpath, total darkness, and then when you get to the bottom, you see a, a, a little marquee, all this music going on, coming out his pings gal, right? They've got a little bar set up and everything. You go, wow, this is pretty special. So you're in this remote location and then you wait for the sun to come up. And then when you realize where you really are, you go, wow, this is incredible. Because you look you look out and you see Dirtle Door. You know, you're, you're in Dorset, you know, and it's like you see the sea right in front of you. It's like, you know, things like you know, I don't think you'll ever forget. And also, one of the other Best festivals I think I enjoyed was the Big Chill. I don't know if you ever heard of that.
0: I've heard of it, yeah, I've never been though. No.
2: Yeah, it was just brilliant. They used to do it in the Salisbury Plains and uh, you'd sit on the hill and you'd watch the sun rise and the sun set if you'd sat all day just watched it. Yeah. And, it just, and, and, and that was the first time I ever experienced LTJ Bookham doing, playing logical, his
0: logical progression set. Yeah. And that day I fell in love with drum and bass. You know, because yeah, you know, Danny was just so brilliant that day. Yeah. What what have been some of your favourite experiences? I know that um Space Ibiza is, is legendary for for the obvious reasons, but um I know you've been to the Likes of Japan. What what have been your, your other standout events from, from over the uh, years? Standout
2: events it's gotta be it's
0: gotta be ultra Miami, the megastructure. Yeah, yeah. I mean that was just incredible what they did. I mean they started with a marquee when I first
2: went there you know, for the car cops, remember? but then they realized how big dance music was going to be. Mm-hmm. And then they, they just stepped up like amazingly, like, wow, you know, and the following year, they, they built the megastructure, which was originally uh, designed for the US military in Afghanistan, where they used to house the, the mid fighters, but they could knock one of those up in a week. Yeah. And so they, uh, so they, they decided to get the same company and they built the megastructure. uh, downtown miami where they had to close the downtown road just to build this thing and it was just the most awesome thing and then they put so much 300 square meters of led in there so and i was in my element crazy isn't it definitely uh, it was uh, the friday and the saturday was carl cox and Friends, and then on the saturday oh sorry on the sunday it was a state of trance which is uh, Armour Van Buren and, and all, all his guys. Yeah, like, is it Paul, Paul Van
0: Dyke you've worked with as well? Uh, Carl, but Paul
2: Van Dyke uh, uh, was playing there, uh, closing there one year, uh, 2014 I think it was, and he contacted me and said, How's, I'm doing the closing set in the structure because you know it, can you close, close my set for me? Well, can you do my set? I said, yeah, what time is it? And he said, you know, whatever time it was, which was the closing, I think nine till 10 or whatever it was. And I thought, wow, I'm going to close the mega structure for the weekend. So I thought, brilliant. Yeah, you know, but I, 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 you know, I was in two so minds. I thought, mega structure, going to close it Sunday night. I've got to get back to the hotel, get changed, because Carl Cox does the after party, right? He does wicked after party after Ultra, and uh, I always, I never want to miss that. So uh, I, I, while I was setting up in the mega structure, Arma Van Buren turned up, and and I've known Armour many times. I met him once in. Uh, and where was that in South America? Mm. He me, he goes, what are you doing here? I'm <laughs> Do the visuals. i promoter seeing me in Miami doing the for a He goes, "I want a for La Paz in uh, in South America." Yeah. So you know, I, I went to that uh, gig and turned up a few days before, and then Armand turns up and he just looks at "What are you doing here? And then he Armand's doing the visuals. So I'm brilliant! So
0: yeah. yeah, South America is um like post-COVID. I'm hoping that. Later on this year, things start to get better, but I I think realistically, without being pessimistic, with the rollout of the vaccine and everything else, it might not be until next year when things yeah. are a bit more normal. But uh, with everything that I'm working on, I've I've got my uh my goals board in the background, and you know, um, America and South America especially, because I've I've watched you know Carl um Sasha John Digweed you look at some of their videos from Argentina, yeah. um, Uruguay Colombia, I mean out there it's just completely different level like the the the, oh, it, the it's it, fanatic it's, isn't it it's a fanatic In the
2: nineties, you know, where everyone used to have their arms up in the air and really love it and everything is, and it's just like that mm. you, you feel like you're going back in time you know in colombia in bogotá when they do ultra there it's just it's the atmosphere is so immense it's, it's brilliant yeah
0: and, yeah you
2: know, even in miami
0: it's the same. yeah it's crazy and um, one of the last questions is, from from your experience working with pioneering artists like, whether it's Carl Cox, I know you did a bit of work with Solomon at that um, festival down in Australia, then you've got Sven Bath Loco does, you know, these are all artists that are very unique individuals, they stand out and they've stood the test of time because they're still yeah. very much relevant now. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give to, to anyone who's wanting to break through? Because I know that your work is with visual mixing, but you know, you work with these artists all the time and you know what they're about. And um, you know, and I suppose the main role that people want in the music industry is to be that next big, you know, DJ or, or artist. So, what is it that you've kind of picked up that makes these guys or, or ladies stand out and tax the test of time? Absolutely. Mm.
2: You've got you've got to have the right attitude if you're going to do this. If you're going to pursue your yourself and your career in, the, in the, as a DJ, because you know, don't get me wrong. The promoters always watch the artists. They always watch them when they're on stage performing and when they come off stage and watch Yeah. Them. Yeah. So, so it's your attitude and your behaviour and the way you are, the way you conduct yourself and so forth. But also just you know just you know, be yourself and 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 just play to the crowd and uh, I don't know, enjoy it yeah, yeah. When, I, when I'm front, front of the house mixing I could always tell when Carl was enjoying his sets yeah, I yeah. Away. even like I'll give you another example last week when I was doing the Fight Against Cancer uh, 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 charity event um, I could tell every DJ was loving it I could tell just by the way they were playing the music yeah you know, you know all, their, all their sets were crisp uh, and that helps me and encourages me to step up as well when I'm doing the visions because they're really getting into it and I get into it too. You
0: know? Yeah. Uh, but all I'm saying is that when, you're, when you're standing there, when you're putting on those steps, just really enjoy it and let everyone see that you're enjoying it. Yeah. Because you know, I feel a
2: lot of dealers when they're standing there, they so focused on twiggling buttons and everything. They look like you're actually enjoying it because everyone's enjoying what you're playing, so enjoy it with them. Yeah, That's definitely. What
0: does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: and everything, and I get into it when I'm video mixing, it's just like, it's just like it's, I don't know, it makes
0: it such a, a more enjoyable experience. Yeah, it is, it is a great point though, because I think there, there was a little bit of that culture that emerged where, you know, there's a bit of chin stroking, people thought they are a bit too cool for school, but, you know, the likes of Carl is such a big personality, you know, when he brings, there's no other artist on it that can bring out a microphone and, you know, be um, serenading the crowd with, oh yes, oh yes, and, you know, just such oh, a cool... Yes. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Exactly. Proper oh yeah. <laughs> Quality. <laughs> that's,
2: my, that's, my, that's my cup to mate. It's
0: the only one I got. But one day I might give it away as a prize to someone. <laughs> <laughs> but I I think attitude definitely is, is a big thing and um, as well as that like you know like mindset and mentality because I know that you know Carl has undoubtedly worked so hard to get to where he is and maintain it, but I think nowadays yeah, he it's is. yeah. yeah it's so saturated now where because people see the lifestyle that you can live if you are successful, that everyone wants it now. But, you know, you can be really hardworking and be talented, but you are you have to have that mindset and mentality where even without COVID, it takes a long time to get to that position um, in, in the industry. And you've got to be willing to, you know, like, so conduct yourself in the right way, but understand that it's going to take years, like, realistically okay. to take years I'm just you know yeah you know, yeah. You know, there are some
2: djs that have made anything. where did they come from yeah yeah you, you know where i'm coming yeah from. yeah of course i'm not going <laughs> to i'm not one for bad nothing anyone but there are djs out there that think, where the hell are they, i mean if you look sometimes look at the top 100 djs and you think, what, what's he doing in the top 10 i've never heard of him more blah 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 you know what's, what's, what's going on but yeah. you know, it's just how
0: it is. yeah it's it's a good question actually before I let you go from from Bradley when he's saying do you, do you notice that um some of the bigger dJs um don't tend to this other big DJs. I mean, I know that for you, you've always been lucky to stay out of the politics. Um, and obviously we, we won't go into it because I appreciate, you know, you're not one to discuss some of the drama that goes on behind the scenes. But um, I think that, that's a big thing, really, is just staying out of some of the drama and the politics and just focusing on you and what you can do instead of worrying about what other people are doing. Yeah.
2: Just worry about yourself. Make, make yourself, you know, the, the, the most important person and, and focus on, you know, delivering... You know, the goods, as they say. That's what I say. Why? Why I, in what I Got to deliver the goods, right? and, and and just do your best. And but the most important thing, Callum, I will end up end on. And something my my father always said to me: does goes Whatever you do, does not matter how successful you you become in life. Don't ever forget
0: where you came from. Yeah, it's very true. You know. Yeah. and I always stand by that. That's why I, you know. You
2: know, I will always say hello to people. I never ignore anyone. I mean, I, sometimes it's difficult when I'm out with my. My girlfriend and people want to talk to me and, and I'm with her and I'm supposed to be spending the evening with her but she, I'm quite fortunate that she understands that mm. you know I, would, I, won't, I won't be rude to anyone when I still talk to them and you know a lot of the artists that I've worked with including Carl are exactly the same Yeah. And no matter how f- famous he is and famous they are they haven't forgotten where they've, came, where they've come from and they know that you know it doesn't hurt just to say hello and let people have a picture with you you know it does
0: hurt no, absolutely, mate. But I just want to say, that's been amazing. That's been 96 minutes in total, and that's flown by hubs, So Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for your time, thanks for, mate.
2: Thanks for listening to me, everybody. And, uh, and please, look after
0: yourselves and stay safe. And big love to you. Nice one, mate. Take care. See you soon. See you,
1: mate. Bye-bye.